Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Energy Matters, and we have a great show planned for you today. We are here with Annie Skillings, who is a equine therapist of sorts. Uh, She does a technique called Mindful Equine Assisted Learning. That's Mindful E-A-L. So so welcome, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I um, offer mindfulness-based equine-assisted learning, and basically I try to bring together my two passions, which is mindfulness and horses. And um, I found that it's very, very powerful and helps both of them, you know, horses inform and improve my mindfulness, and mindfulness improves my horse work. Sometimes person, somebody might be coming who maybe has a trauma history and knows they have some specific issues that they'd like to sort of sort with or play with or be with with the horses but it's very much just where where is it meant to unfold how is it meant to be Um, so when somebody comes into the barn they might walk up and we have it set up so that they can very safely watch the herd without actually going in with the herd they might find that there's one particular horse they're very drawn to and in that case we want to let them interact with that horse and do they want to groom the horse do they want to try to walk with the horse do they want to just be in the horse's presence Um, so it's very guided by their experience do do the horses ever reject the people who come in absolutely I mean that's one of the beautiful parts of having the horses loose is that it is a true relationship and um, there's as this equine-assisted psychotherapy and learning is a growing field, it's just been burgeoning over the last three, two or three decades. Mm. And there are, I've just been amazed at how many different models are emerging. And in, there is a specific model out there right now where they really express that the horse should always be able to say, no, I don't want to do this, because it is a true relationship that you're trying to build. Um, in other cases, somebody might work with the horses and it would be, an interaction that then they see metaphors for their daily life with. Um, and I, there might be an exercise they can do. So we always want to make sure that we're taking into consideration the horse's ascension being. What are some of the other models of, of this type of work that you've seen emerging that are different or similar to how, how it is kind of set up at the barn that, um, that you, you have your herd? So the model, one of the models that I was trained in is called EGALA, which stands for Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. And it's been a very fast-growing international model. Um, and in that model, primarily the model is that you always have an equine specialist and a psychotherapist working together. So there's always a team of professionals. There's always a team of professionals. And um, when, I'm doing, when I do that model, then... I can be either the role of the spiritual director and have an equine specialist with me, or I can be the equine specialist and work with a, another healthcare provider. Um, in that model, oftentimes, 
you meet beforehand, you see what the client's issues are, and you come up with some exercises that might be really useful for the individual or family or group to work with. Um, you, they do um, corporate trainings and team buildings. Um, an example of a, set, of a session in that would be you might have two or three horses loose in the arena, and you would set up a small obstacle in the middle, and you would tell the group of people that you're working with that without touching the horse, without bribing the horse, only using things in the arena, and without talking to each other to get one of the horses to go over the obstacle. And a lot of group dynamics, yes, and a lot of group dynamics emerge, and, and a lot of metaphors. And the dialogue that can happen within this world is, what is the experience for the horses? And are you taking consideration, are they as sentient beings? Are they participating joyfully, or is this something that you're putting your will on them? And one of the things that I pay attention to is there is a huge dialogue about human-horse interactions and the continuum of whose will is deciding what happens. So on one end, you have a lot of traditional training that has been very abusive to horses and very much, you will do my will. And at the other end of the continuum, you have never enforce your will on the horse. It's always the horse can always say no. And I think either end can end up being abusive. And I think that as long as it doesn't approach either end, I give people room to play with where they fall on that continuum, as long as they don't go into the abusive on either end. When you talk about horses being sentient beings, can you can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Absolutely. I think they just, so often in our dominant culture, unfortunately, we have failed to appreciate that all animals and all living things have consciousness. And um, horses certainly do like all beings. They have souls in my belief system, and they have presence. Um, Some are less present than others, depending upon their level of trauma that they've encountered. So they are individuals, and much training is often done trying to say horses believe this or horses think this or horses act this way. And they're individuals who may or may not fall into that stereotype, and there'll be horses who want to join and connect with human beings, and they're the ones who want to keep their distance, but they're capable of thought and emotion and feeling. And when you say that, you know, horses, you believe that horses have souls and that they are capable of kind of making their individual decisions, can you share with us any any interesting stories or any interesting observations? Because you mentioned that you have 50 or 60 years of experiences <laughs> with horses. Yeah. Um, what are some of the like beautiful things that you've witnessed that really that testifies to your observation of that? You know, so often our interactions with horses are felt experiences in our own bodies. Um, and that's part of the power, I think, that they offer us is that they bypass our intellectual and our rational mind and help us get right into our heart and into our gut. Um, I've been thinking, remembering, we I led a meditation one time and people were meditating in the ring and one woman had a horse come up and lie down next to her um, because of the energy that she was creating. Mm. Um, I've had several horses that I've had to deal with as they passed on. And I had a horse that... Um, Without going into his full story, I had 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 a serious injury, and I worked with him for 
ever trying to save him. Um, he was not rideable. And one time I was sitting outside his stall in a chair just to keep him company. And we had such a beautiful connection that I had this sense of, I just had the best ride of my life Aww. sitting in a chair outside. Yeah. And when it came time to put him down and to let him go, I had this strong impression of him as a soldier in a very positive way. Like he was walking to his death with great dignity, with great presence. And when he was actually had to be given the shot that would take his life, the vet commented on how quickly he went and how clearly ready he was to go. And in fact, the vet later wrote me a letter um, expressing his impress, how impressed he was with the connection we had. Um, and sometimes in the workshops, um, there have been times when a client or a participant in a workshop will just start crying just because feeling the presence of these animals. And I think it also is often because as humans, we've isolated ourselves so much and we've disconnected so much from the greater connection that is right there, that when that part of us can be touched and that is dormant, it just can be so profoundly beautiful to just just re- be touched in that sacred, beautiful way by another species. If you're just tuning in, we're listening to Energy Matters, and we're here chatting with Annie Skillings today, who does mindful equine assisted learning, mindful E-A-L. Um, so, you know, we're chatting about kind of the work with horses and Annie, I'm so curious, how did, how did you get into this work? <laughs> That's a good question. I ask myself that sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's always good to ask ourselves, how did I get here? <laughs> so I, I mean, I started riding um, when I was 13. I was very fortunate that like a lot of primarily little girls, although some little boys, um, I loved horses as a child, and I was never allowed to ride. And then for Christmas one year, my mother gave me riding lessons, and oh. it was all over. Yeah. <laughs> it was done. <laughs> never looked back. Um, so I worked at Barnes. I did a lot, um, and I went on to be professional. I was the assistant in New York to a woman when she was trying out for the Olympics. Wow. Um, I competed and trained in dressage for many, many years. And then I went to be director of riding at a, the Putney School in Vermont, and um, then I burned out on it. And when you run a barn and run a program, you often don't have time to ride yourself because you're so busy running the business. So I um, made a major life change. I went back to school. And through some synchronistic events, um, I went back to get a degree in epidemiology. Um, prior to that, I had gotten a master's in sports, sci- uh, sports theory when I thought I'd be working with horses. And then when I changed careers, I went into epidemiology. What is epidemiology? Epidemiology comes from epidemics. So it really studies um, risk factors and cause and effect in health issues. Gotcha. Um, And I had to do an internship. And um, it's kind of a fun story because I was very interested in psychosocial factors and body-mind medicine. This was in the 80s. And um, my the school that I was in did not really want to support that in terms of studying that and for research. But there had been one person from UMass Medical Center who um, was a cardiac um, epidemiologist who said I could study with him if I wanted to. But he said, there's this man in the basement, John Cabot's in, and if you'd like to, maybe you could work with him because he's more into 
that stuff. You never know what you're going to get when you find a man in the basement. Exactly. And he was um, had not written any books yet, and I was able to do an internship there, and um, was able to work in many, many roles there. But I was not a meditator prior to that job. I think that was the universe's way of thinking that I really needed to have meditation in my life, and I wasn't going to figure that out on my own. So I, they put me in a place to um, be immersed in it. And uh, I worked there for 13 years in all sorts of roles as it was growing from a small mom-and-pop operation in the basement of a hospital to a world center, which is now called the Center for Mindfulness in Medicine, Healthcare, and Society. And if any of our listeners uh, are not familiar with who uh, John Kabat-Zinn is, he's sort of the he's the, one of the founders of mindfulness, mindful meditation, or the movement at least of the movement, yeah. absolutely bringing it to the general public in in the United States. And he also created the uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, and yeah, that there's a whole yeah. It's a really... There's a whole world there. It's a whole <laughs> world, yeah. So it's if you're interested in kind of just getting started with meditation, that's that's one of many, many ways to great directions to go yeah. in as well. So um, yeah. that's that's really cool that you were just happened to be connected with this man so early in his career. Yeah, it was really wonderful and very... I was very, very fortunate. I did a lot of growing up there. Um, and one of the perks was to do, be able to do... Um, a nine-day meditation retreat at the um, IMS Center in Barrie um, was part of the job. You didn't have to use vacation time to go on retreat. That's really nice. Which was very lovely. So I owe a lot of my mindfulness training to being part of my job. And um, when it became time for me to part from them and move on, I had adopted a little girl, and I lived in Amherst, and the commute got to be too much. And... um, I have these two passions of mindfulness now that is means so much to me and being present and being fully aware as, or as awake as possible and horses and the two worlds just it was so such an obvious marriage of how each could enrich the other. Well, um, we're going to take a short break and we're going to kind of keep blending and talking about these this marriage of mindfulness and horses because um, I've been to the barn and met the herd twice in fact and gotten to uh, share some of some Reiki with the horses and I had some really powerful um, experiences uh, with you with, with your facilitation as well so how how have horses played a role in your own personal healing journey I don't know if that's too is that too uh, direct of a question no because I won't go into some details probably okay yeah share <laughs> I'll whatever spare you, you some of it share whatever you feel comfortable with i don't i kind of like putting people on the spot and seeing what happens but i also you know share what you feel comfortable well you know it was also really interesting because one of the things just this morning as i was thinking about coming here that this question got me thinking about is the word healing and that you know that made me want to look at well what wounds might i have that it helped with and i think that Definitely, I think, you know, with some trauma I have, with some um, various issues it helped. But also it made me look at healing sort of ends up looking at the past. And I also recognize it's just been a big part of my personal growth, which can be looking at where I am now and where I'm going in my spiritual development, my personal development. So it was fun to sort of be like, okay, healing and personal growth is has just been so touched by the horses. Um, 
from the time that I was riding and competing and training um, in terms of confidence, in terms of just joy. And they are a source of joy for me. Um, I remember walking into the um, barn one day and just, I just walk into a barn and feel joy and recognizing for me the difference between happiness, which can be very situational, and joy, which is um, much deeper and not situational, that in the middle of a difficult time, I can still tap into that joy. Um, so the horses definitely help me with that. And if I'm having a difficult time, just to go and be in their presence and to be fed and nurtured by the energy they put out and the way they create a holding. Um, you know, a lot of times with some of it, when it's been healing, you can feel so raw and you can feel so vulnerable and to be able to connect with a life force that isn't going to judge you, isn't going to care about your story, but is just going to accept you and be there and relate to you as you are in this moment, um, was just also a great relaxing break from sometimes the work of some of the healing work. Yeah. I think that you're you're spot on about that that moment of connection because sometimes that is something that we just crave mm -hmm. is that connection if we're feeling lonely or I mean from my personal experience I I feel like you know having those times where I am feel, feeling vulnerable it's like I always reach out to the people who are non-judgmental in my mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Those, those are the people that I want to connect with. Absolutely. Because I, 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 don't have any, I don't have any of my guards up. Exactly. Which is, we want to be able to be open-hearted. I mean, that's what part of our growth is about. But if you have your heart tromped on, you do tend to learn discernment of how to be open and protected. So while you were talking, I, I feel like I, I started to feel one of the horses working on me do they do they connect with you when yes. you're not around yes very much some of them not all of them I don't know which one it was but I is when you started talking I started feeling my my solar plexus which is just around the diaphragm area uh in one of the energetic chakras uh I started feeling it mm -hmm. kind of warming and and pulsing and mm. I was like I, I just knew that that was one of the horses were sending yeah. me some some uh <laughs> some healing to to that space yeah absolutely they're an amazing group of beings. So what kind of, what have you observed when you're working, doing the mindful EAL uh, with these horses when, when clients come in? What, what kind of things have you, have you noticed that really left an yeah. impact on you? Um, yeah, and actually what I call it, the, my email address is mindful EAL, but it's actually mindfulness-based. Okay. So I'm doing equine-assisted learning, and I'm rooting it in the mindfulness practice. Gotcha. Um, so I find, I'm trying to think of different clients who have come. Um, there was a gentleman, a lovely gentleman I worked with, um, who was working in, who was actively working with his addiction, trying to have relief from it. And he found working with the horses that he felt parts of his body he never knew he had. Um, that, that, that just really facilitated and opened to him a whole world he didn't know about. Um, other people have found that they wanted to learn more how to stay in their bodies. And what I found is that oftentimes it seems like people relate to horses from three different parts of our body, is that either they can read a lot of books, and all three are, are useful, um, 
if you've read books about it, you can come from a very intellectual place. The theory says this, um, you know, I should do this, I should do that. Um, people also can come from a very heart-centered place and be very um, spiritually tossed, have a beautiful opening experience, and then also become very much from our gut and very grounded and very solid. And if we can really cultivate all three, it's really the most effective place to be. If somebody's very heart-centered sometimes, I've noticed they can have beautiful opening spiritual transformative experiences, but they can't actually lead a horse necessarily. Like the horse will walk all over them Mm. because they're not grounded and they're not as solid as a horse will want you to be. So they'll help bring you down a little bit. Um, When you say that the horse... Well, if you're not as grounded as the horse wants you to be, Mm. what does that mean? What does that look like? So you're still dealing with a 1,000 to 1,500-pound animal. They're huge. When I walked into the barn, I was actually like, whoa, you are a very tall. I'm short. I'm 5'2", but they're... This horse, the first horse that I met, was yeah. very tall, and I had a moment of like, whoa, I'm kind of, I'm much smaller. Yes, yes. And and we actually, sometimes I used to do, some of the workshops I used to do before up at Roe, which was a multi-day workshop I led with some friends, um, is we wanted people to realize to come out of the romantic place. You know, there can be a very romantic, we're going to connect, and we're going to have this spiritual experience, and isn't this great? And these are big, powerful animals that can run you over, can step on you, can do all of these sorts of things. So the more fully present you are, solid in your body, the more aware they will be of you. Um, But part of my job as a facilitator is I monitor the energy of the herds and the dynamic of the herds to make sure that people are not in unsafe situations. Um, So if the horses are all really hyper one day and really moving around a lot, and there's a lot of mm, discussion going on between the horses of who's going to stand where and who's going to move who. Um, In those situations, I don't have people go out into the middle of it. We might just stay on the outside and observe it. Whereas if today we were there and this weather is so beautiful, the horses were all just so chill and they're just hanging. And so we could go right out and and hang with them. And so when when you are there with a client and you're in the in the herd area at the barn you're with the herd and um how do you know how do you know where to direct the client well i guess what let me let me take a step back walk walk me through what it looks like to experience a um do you call it a treatment or a session a session okay so walk me through what a, a typical session would be um so a person would come in and we would do a little touch base first um talk outside separate from the horse, find out what's been going on in their life, um, how are they feeling now. Um, if they're comfortable, we might do a few minutes of meditation and just try to, to take some deep breaths, get into our bodies, see if there's any tension that we can release, sort of get a little brief body scan. Um, and then I'll see, we'll observe the herd, and I'll ask them if they feel particularly drawn to any horse or if they feel a strong intuition of what they want to do. And if they have that, they may say, yes, I want to try to lead that horse, or I want to groom that horse, or I want to stand next to that horse. And so then I will scope out the herd and see how I feel like that's something that can be done safely and where the dynamics are, and as long as it's safe. Um, or I might choose to take that horse out from the herd so that there's not the whole herd dynamics at the same time, and they can work with that horse one-on-one in a safe way. Then we'll do that. If they 
say, I got nothing. I feel no intuition. I don't have a clue. Then I'll check in with my own intuition. And I'll say, okay, well, I feel like, how about if we go do this? You know, how about if we work with freedom or work with one of the horses is freedom or um, Luna they might choose to be drawn to or, um, you know, see who, see who they're drawn to, who I feel might be a good horse for them to connect with. Um, and sometimes people are really relieved to have that direction because to come, if you don't have experience with horses and somebody comes in and just says, what do you feel like you should do? They're like, I don't like, have, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> and so then I'm saying, okay, fine, let's try leading it. Let's just groom it. Let's, um, try different things, maybe some exercises. Um, we do now have what's called a round pen, which is a small enclosed area that you can work one-on-one with a horse in a very safe way. Um, so we utilize that, but it's, there's no set script because it's so individual by person and then by session. Can you tell us, um, can you share with us a few of, about a little bit about the horses? Can you, because you mentioned Luna and Freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah, just tell us about the herd. <laughs> the crew. And, yeah. The crew. Um, absolutely. They, I'm very, very fortunate. Actually, I have to really um, appreciate they're owned by a friend of mine um, and at Crinis Farm. And um, What town is that in? She's just, she's in Belchertown. Um, and if I had talked to her beforehand, I'd thank her publicly over the radio, but I haven't talked to her beforehand, so I'm not comfortable throwing her name out there. Sure. Um, but people may recognize her horse names. Um, so Luna is a young horse. She's about four years old, and Freedom is her mother. And so Freedom can be very, very maternal. And a lot of times if, if a woman has some mother issues going on, that they often might feel very connected and, and connecting to uh, freedom. Luna has had not a whole lot of training, and she's four years old, and so she tends to be very um, natural with the herd, and very much sometimes knows what she wants, and will come and try to get in your lap, or try to move you around. Or she was very <laughs> affectionate the last time my friend and I were there. Yeah. She was. She came in for cuddles, probably almost for the whole hour and a half that we were there. And yeah, yeah. she just wanted her nose rubbed, and yeah. she got yeah. lots of Reiki on that day. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Danero is a big gray horse who's very handsome, and some people are very drawn to him. Um, and he's, he's white and spotted. White and spotted. Yes, he's freckles. He's freckles. got freckles. He's yes. gray. Freckles. <laughs> um, has a great presence. Um, he's one that I don't always feel like I know as well. So he's one that actually, um, some people have a wonderful connection with him, and we can really read him well. Um, he is settling into the herd. He wasn't totally with the herd for a cup for several months over the summer, so he is settling in and finding his way. Um, Dulcimer is my horse, who I owned his mother, so I've had him for his whole life, and he's 28. Wow. Um, that's, that's, it, is that like a he's getting up senior, there. that's a yeah. senior horse. He's yeah. definitely a senior boy. Yeah. Um, but he's, well, I once had a, a reading done on him, a psychic reading done with him, and um, he reported with a grain of salt, because with all psychics, I must admit that I take them with a grain of salt, but this resonated, that he felt he was a young soul, and he wanted me to be very patient with him. Um, but he's very, very, very loving. And being 28, um, and he has some health issues, so we actually feel that he might be near his passing than I would like to admit. Um, 
But then for somebody working with some grief work, he can be really powerful for them to be with. Um, there's another old horse there named Patch, and Patch in his career has taught hundreds if not thousands of people to ride, children to ride, and now his knees are big and he's kind of sore and arthritic. Yeah. And so he and Dulcimer just hang out and are the old men off in the corner. Can you tell us about Itty Bitty, my favorite? <laughs> Itty Bitty is a miniature horse with spunk. He's very spunky. So he definitely has an opinion about everything. And there are times when he's willing to be very friendly and present and come up and say hello. And there are other times when he's actually the one that I need to suggest clients not try to interact with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's got a little mohawk and he's so cute. Yes, he's. And and what's interesting about my relationship with Itty Bitty and when um, I've had to carry into my work with the unmounted, because all the work I do here is unmounted. Um, unmounted meaning? Meaning not riding. Okay. Um, so you're I, coming to, the, the patients or clients would come to visit with the horses? To be and interact with the horses, unmounted. With yep, ground, they're on, everybody's on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had clients in the past who do riding. I am a licensed riding instructor. I have a couple places that I can ride as I've had some clients who want to go that way. So we'll see if that develops or not. But um, in this situation, we're talking about all unmounted work. And so when you actually ride a horse, I use a phrase a lot that says, don't ride yesterday's horse today. Um, What does that mean? So a lot of times, if you ride a horse one day and you can have a certain thing you want them to do and they're not doing it well and you might get into a fight with them even, that if you expect them to be like that the next day, you're not giving them the opportunity to be different. And so you really want to ride a fresh horse. You want to come with a fresh mind every time you get on the horse and not say, oh, this is the horse that makes me angry. This is the horse that does that. So with Biddy, I've known him a long time. And he used to be kicking and biting and not the most pleasant little being to be around. He's a scrappy little fighter. He was a scrappy little fighter. (laughs) So I need to let go of that and meet him where he is today and not say, ooh, that's itty bitty. It's like, oh, that's itty bitty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's part of probably the healing of a relationship, you know, kind of thing that as you get to know a horse over many, many years, that's going to be, because it's not like they're talking. Right. So it's going to just always offer that mirror. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the words... um, I think one of the ways they make, one of the theories about horses, and this is a theory that I've read some people have, I haven't seen the science on it, but it resonates with me, is that horses um, used to be small. Prehistorically, they were, they were the size of dogs, Eohippus. And one of the theories is that one of the reasons they grew bigger is that they needed bigger digestive systems. Mm. And um, of course, that's the enteric nervous system, and that's where, as humans, we do the whole listen to your gut, follow your gut. Absolutely. And one of the theories is that as a herd, that's how they communicate with each other, is that they are connecting non-verbally through energy and through their guts um, so that if one horse sees a frightening thing, they will communicate through their gut whether the other horses need to pick up on it or not. And that I think that's where we can have resonance with them as well in terms of grounding and in our gut feelings. I mean, when I visited the barn, you invited me to, to meet the herd. And um, one thing I will say is that it is it is a private residence. It's a private right. farm. So it's not just walk-in. You right. have to schedule a time, you know, meet you there. Um, and 
you know, I mean, first when I walked in, I was like, oh, okay, I was a little, you know, kind of, ro- I love rolling up to any kind of farms because it's always, it's just such a whole ecosystem anyways. But, you know, the barn was huge and beautiful and, you know, really nicely organized coming in. And I love a good organized space <laughs> to walk into. Um, and there was like a nice little gate, you know, so the, the herd was kind of free form and some were in the barn, but there was a barrier so we kind of came in and we checked in and right away I saw itty bitty and I just loved that little mini horse right away (laughs) the first time I went to visit um I wanted to practice you know offering Reiki to horses because Mm I I had such a powerful experience giving Reiki to horses recently and I I was like I want more of these animals in my life Mm. and you know the couple of different times that I visited and where it was, you know, resonating in that space, the animals know what to do. It's like, it was really nice to be having you stand next to me and be like, you know, you don't want to ever get behind a horse. You always want to make sure that you know where they are. So if they move and it was cool because you could, as I was kind of watching when you talk about how the, the horses talk to each other Mm. they do kind of have these little bubbles and then one horse moves away and this whole space almost just opens up and that whole space feels a little different and so it's with 11 or 12 horses and sometimes you know that whole space is really is really organized and you know reorganizes and um absolutely and one of the horses that i was also really wanting to work with the first time that i went to visit was one of the horses that had um, some PTSD from mm. like, you know, some from a training, prior, prior training, a prior training. And, you know, he had zero interest in coming over for Reiki. But the second time he came over and, you know, he, he really just like, he just let all of that stress and emotion go. And it's, it's just, it is, it's such a physical experience being with these animals. It's like, I feel it in my body so deeply. And, you know, after being there for a couple of hours, I felt so at peace and I felt really safe having you next to me and kind of guiding me through it. Because when it kind of comes to me doing Reiki, I'm like, I'm good with it. Like I, I know what I'm doing with Reiki, but I, I'd never met these big beasts. And like I said, I was very intimidated having these huge, tall animals, these 1200 pound animals coming up. And it was, um, yeah, it was a really powerful experience. And you know, I really appreciated your facilitating and, you know, inviting me into that space. It felt, it felt really, um, it felt like a sacred space to walk into. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciated your coming. And I think it is a concern that I really like to monitor in terms of the safety issue is that, as you said, if someone were to get hurt, it wouldn't be the horse directly trying to hurt them. It would be that they were in the path as there was a chain effect of this horse moved, this horse moved, this horse, and there you were. Um, so it's really monitoring the whole energy system of what's going on and the dynamics of how they're all interacting in that moment. Um, it can be quite, as I said, you know, and one day to the other, one day they'll all be very chill and hanging out, and the next day they're, they're changing maybe who's on the top of the pecking order. Yeah, a little itty-bitty got, yeah. got, got, a, got a fever or something. Yeah. Maybe not a literal fever, but... 
And itty bitty make sure that he's not on the bottom of the pecking order either. (laughs) Size is not the determining factor with him. And the other issue in terms of safety, and it was interesting mentioning, you know, going behind a horse. So, you know, there are certain rules that one will hear, like don't walk behind a horse. Um, And a lot of that is based on, you'll see experienced horse people walk behind horses all the time. But you want to be reading their energy. Because they are prey animals, they're wired to be always on the lookout. Am I safe? Am I not safe? You know, what's going on over there? Which is actually one of the ways that they can be very healing working with trauma survivors because they're also have been in the experience of feeling like a prey or being prey. And so that parallel of how do you work with that energy and work with that being um, can be very powerful. And really the way you stay safe around a horse is by reading their body language, reading their subtle, subtle, subtle communications and their energy levels. And um, so that's what I want to keep reading and keep keep people safe with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time, um, I had a time when the vet, I was in another barn and there was a veterinarian who was doing a lot of work on a horse and he was actually working on the front end and the horse wanted to back up. So I just stood behind the horse and pushed against his butt to say, no, you're not going to back up, just stand here. So apparently I heard later that um, a younger person had seen me do that, and so she did it. She was a teenager, and she tried to you know, do the same thing to a different horse, and the horse kicked her across the room, oh, no. across the hallway, because she didn't have the experience to read, oh, this is a horse I can do this with. So they are individuals, and you've got to respect that and know them well and read them well. Yeah, yep. So I know that you do the these individual sessions for kind of spiritual growth, for healing trauma, and you also do workshops as well. Right now, I'm planning on during the summer to do probably at least one workshop a month. Okay. Um, the next one will be June 22nd. It's a Saturday. Um, my preferred way to do it, this isn't written in stone for this one yet. I like it if people come actually at 12 and we have lunch together because then we can do a lot of informal conversation and get to know each other and not use the workshop time to do that. And then, so it'll be either 12 to 4 or 1 to 4, depending upon which way we decide to go. Um, th- what I've called them traditionally, although I've played with a lot of different titles, is cultivating mindfulness in the presence of horses. Mm, I like that. So we do start with... Um, I do a reading of the people. I ask people what their comfort level is with, with meditating because some people feel that after five or ten minutes they'll be jumping out of their skins if they don't have experience. And other people are saying they'd like to sit for 45 minutes. So we try to find what's comfort level and reasonable time-wise. Um, but we do do meditation to try to really do a body scan, check out, get as relaxed as and open as we can. And then following the meditation trying to stay somewhat in silence. I allow people to just go over the farm, not going in with the horses, but just observing them. And one of the important things I also ask people to do is that to really listen to themselves. So I also invite people to be to bring notebooks if they want to be journaling, to bring art material, to bring musical instruments, whatever, so that if at one point during the workshop they feel like they want to go off and write or whatever they're called to do, that they are totally welcome to do that there's no strict thing we're going to stay together as a group it's really a way to let people do their own path so how what are the advantages of working uh, doing the workshops versus the individual sessions the workshops are a way for people to get a taste of it um you also have the group dynamics and if 
in terms of um, like if we want to work with a, a horse during one of those exercises that I talked about, like having the group trying to get a horse over one of the obstacles. Um, we did that in one workshop. So it's it's not singularly focused on one person. There's a whole group. And you also get the feedback of seeing how different people interact with different horses and if the horses are different with different people. So it's a nice way to, to be introduced to the work. And how... So you guys kind of do these exercises, and um, what are what are things that that people say when they when they've gone through these workshops and things like that? Like, what what kind of feedback do you get? Um, at the most recent workshop, um, we actually were working with a horse in the round pen, and the two women who were trying that with me were really amazed at how simple it looked and how hard it was to do, which I think can also be very true of meditation, you know, simple but not easy. <laughs> um, because you have to be so in the present and so there with the horse. I think as you found as well, people just are are moved by, by the horses and they appreciate the space that I'm able to create in terms of holding space for them to have whatever individual experience they are there to have. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, do people come in with expectations? Of course. Um, and they may or may not pan out for what they expect. Um, it's, I think that's really where the mindfulness comes in, you know, because we all have expectations. And so being aware of them and that's where the informal discussion is ideal beforehand because I do like to know what are people hoping for. You know, if there's something that they really are hoping to get out of it or they'd really like to do, I certainly want to know that so that I can give them the best experience for what they're hoping for. Um, so in this last experience, as I said, while I did work with a couple of people in the round pen working with a horse one-on-one, -on -one, another person went off just to observe the horses quietly by herself. Um, and that was totally fine and appropriate. Um, so it's 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 staying in the moment. It's drinking in the horses and having your own experience for what it is. If if people are trying to you know kind of stay in the moment and and kind of come into these and have you know just really just on a on the purest level of just experiencing all of this, what is a what is a good way that we can prepare when we're going into a session or into a workshop with horses? Just come and be yourself. You know, I think it's very much um, letting be what is. And, you know, the mindfulness piece is about working with our experiences. You know, a lot of times what I will say in terms of guidance will be as somebody's with a horse of bring it back to um, where are you in your body? What are you feeling in your body? Um, can you make more room around that? Can you um, work with that? Can you hold that with compassion? Um, if it brings up a deep emotion, um, that's fine. That's beautiful. You know, let's make room for it and let's give time for it. So there's can be a lot of quiet time and a lot of room for what is now present in this moment. Um, and just deepening, holding, appreciating making space for so we we are nearing the end of our hour together um 
is there anything else that you anything that you'd like to kind of share any tidbits or any information that you feel like is important that you'd like to just throw out into the universe about this work or just in general <laughs> leaving that door open yeah really that's a big door <laughs> <laughs> well you know yeah. I mean, I think big messages i would also invite people when they're driving down the road and they feel it, they see any animals i mean whether horses or cows or anything to realize that they are sentient beings that have presence and you say hello you know um it's so easy to go into a barn or see horses and not even recognize there there is a being there. And I think that we do that to each other as well as doing it to other species. And really to recognize, oh, hello. There's a, there's a sacred, beautiful soul sitting right in front of me. And hello. Hello. And that they might contribute to our healing, and Absolutely. we might contribute to theirs. There is the theory that's put out there that because we have done such damage to the world right now, that the horses actually are getting louder and louder and really trying to say, yo, humans, we're here. Let us help you. Let us be partners in healing and, um, and move this planet to what it can be instead of the track we have it online to be. Hmm. I like that. I li- we need all the help we can get. Absolutely. We need to shift our, our uh, vibrational levels a little higher. Yeah, the horses are like, come on, folks. Yeah, they're like, nay, yeah. nay more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Well, um, Annie, tell us how people can find you. Give us your, your number and your email address one more time. So again, and um, I also have an ad in many hands. So that's a place to get this information. But uh, my email is mindfuleal at gmail.com. My phone is 413-256-6159. And um, I personally am on Facebook. Um, I had a Facebook page, but I I ignored it. And I let (laughs) it sort of fade. Send her an email. So I'll bring it back up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So again, that phone number is 413-256-6159. 6159. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Annie Skillings, for coming and, and chatting about your world. And, and thanks again for inviting uh, me to the barn a couple times. I really, I had a really powerful experience. Uh, um, and you facilitated that. Well, thank you so much. Come again. And thank you for reaching out to me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great weekend.